within the time that we have this morning, this glorious day of Easter celebration, when we remember the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be sharing on the subject declaring his lordship, declaring his lordship. That is the lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ, the lordship of Jesus Christ. God has arranged it in such a way that as we're looking at the gospel of the kingdom, last week I was telling us that the gospel of the kingdom actually has two major parts to it. And we said the first part has to do with the good news about the great love of God that has brought salvation to us, to all mankind, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just summarizing. And we said the second part to that is the declaration of his lordship. Hallelujah. The lordship of Jesus Christ. And uh, it just happened that today has, today happened to be Easter celebration. What a timely message then to look at that second part of the gospel of the kingdom, which is about declaration of the lordship of Jesus Christ over all. I will quickly link this together this morning. Thank you, Brother Mark, for the passage read as you were about starting the worship from Philippians chapter two, we of necessity have to come there. But let's look at where the journey began from. Let's look at what led to all that we are celebrating today and the implications of that for us as believers and for the entire creation. That is where the good news is.
with me quickly to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is where the journey began from. After that tragedy of the fall of man that we talked about last week, which led to man relinquishing, willingly relinquishing the dominion that God gave him to another. The devil. God did not abandon his plan. God remained on course with his plans. And immediately after that, within that moment, when the tragedy happened, God also spoke prophetically of what will happen after, which is where the good news is for us. Genesis 3, verse 15. Can someone quickly read that for us? If you are reading, you can read it. Genesis 3, verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Quickly. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Hallelujah. That's the, that's, that's the word. That, that's, the, that's the verse. At that point in time, God made a clear prophetic pronouncement as to what will happen. God said, while speaking, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the devil, <laughs> and between your seed and a seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman will crush Satan in, in the head. Amen. He will bruise his ears. The seed of the woman will be wounded. But in his wounding, your head will be crushed. No doubt, Satan. Are you following this matter? The simple reason is this. What man lost, it will take man to take it back. Of necessity, therefore, there must be a seed of the woman who will crush Satan and take back the authority that he had cunningly
deceived man to hand over to him through the sin of rebellion. So whatever the devil was doing with the authority that he collected from man, it was going to be temporary. Hallelujah. Whatever the activities of the thief, who the Bible tells us in John 10, 10, that he has no mission other than to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But someone else will come who is of the seed of the woman, who will, who will restore fullness of life to mankind, including authority, the dominion to reign as God had ordained it to be from the very beginning. Hallelujah. Amen. And I want us to follow it from here. Turn with me then to Isaiah 53. I could go on, perhaps let's stop over quickly. Let's stop over quickly in Isaiah chapter nine. In Isaiah chapter nine, Verses six and seven has this to say, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. Hallelujah. So, the seed of the woman that we are talking about. which had been mentioned actually in again in a prophetic way in chapter 7 of the same Isaiah. If you go to chapter 7 of the same Isaiah, about verse 14, began to talk about, you know, how a virgin will conceive and bear a son who will be called Emmanuel. So we are still talking about the seed of the woman. When that seed of the woman comes, it's actually coming to take the kingdom. That's exactly what chapter 9 is. I can't go into it for now. It's coming to establish a kingdom. And that kingdom will continue to increase. It's an ever-increasing, ever-advancing kingdom. Mm -hmm. 
Amen. That's all I just want you to know today because we are not teaching on this passage today. But just know that that was the mission. Kingdom, like I told you, has always been in the heart of God. Everything God has ever done, is doing, and will ever do will center around his kingdom. We said it last week, the kingdom is primary to God, not secondary. It's not a secondary matter, it's primary. The son was born to be king. To advance the kingdom on earth. What a man fails to do, what the first Adam failed to do, the last Adam will do it. That is the implication. The government, the kingdom that the first Adam failed in disobedience and rebellion to propagate, the last Adam will come. And reestablish that. Amen. Amen. Since you understand where this prophecy is coming from, and you will discover throughout the, prof- the prophecies in the Old Testament, there's always this hope of a Messiah, of a king that will reign. If you read all through the book of Isaiah, there were prophetic words about the king that will reign, the king that will reign in righteousness, that will bring peace. This we shall explore at another time, but just for me to quickly move on to the declaration of his lordship. I want to quickly move to the New Testament now so that we can, no, Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, you will see another prophecy which brings us to the bruising that was talked about, the wounding that was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. If you go to Isaiah 53, we will jump so many verses, but let's go quickly to verse... uh, Five, six, and seven. It says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and on and on. So we can see the prophecy about the wounding, the bruising of the seed of the woman. Again, that for a purpose. Talking about the suffering of the seed of the woman. 
And all of this, including his death, when his blood was shed, it's just for a purpose, to secure our redemption. To secure our redemption. Because man had legally sold himself to captivity under the evil one. He had this way. But the wages of sin will always be that. And that has to be fulfilled. But it can only be fulfilled by one who has no sin. You understand what I'm talking about? So one will bear the sin of many. The sin of all. For the purpose of first of all securing redemption. Which is the price you pay. To bring someone out from slavery, from captivity. And align them. Usually, it's a it's 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 a, it's it's a relief. In fact, redemption is used from deliverance from a captor that is cruel, that is wicked, and then returning to an owner, to an original owner. Are you are you following me? Rel you know, to bring relief for the one who had suffered captivity. Amen. Amen. Redemption by his time is always from a less favorable condition to a peaceful condition, to a favorable condition. Redemption by implication is from captivity to liberty. It's from slavery to freedom. Hallelujah. Amen. Man. When Jesus suffered, all of those things he suffered, he was fulfilling prophecy. Brothers and sisters, and they were not for, just for form, they were to secure our redemption. The necessary price for our iniquity, the necessary punishment for us to enjoy peace. Because the devil knew the law. He understood it. The wages of sin will always be death. And so legally, for God to justify that sin has been punished, somebody has to be punished on behalf of all. Oh, may the law help us to understand this divine substitution in which Christ took my place, it took the place. So you muted my mic, my mic. Please, can we mute that microphone? Are we getting the point we are making? So they were not just for fun, they were achieving something. Everything Christ went through, it was to achieve something for us. And in that place, you can see one thing there. And can I quickly say this? The chastisement for our peace was laid upon him. Amen. 
Brothers and sisters, by the reason of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ and death on the cross, of necessity, you should enjoy peace. You should have peace. Because it has been paid for. Fully paid for. I should have peace. Freedom from oppression. Freedom from affliction. Hallelujah. Amen. So by his stripes, by those wounds, those cuts, we were healed. We were healed. Amen. Again, that secures freedom from sicknesses and diseases. Mm. And when we celebrate the death, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should, it's a remembrance that, look, these things that has been imposed on me by whatever and whoever, I ought not to carry them anymore. It goes to someone else, the one who has carried them away. Hallelujah. Amen. May God help us to appropriate the suffering, the death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Even today, as we remember this again, it's the remembrance of what he has done. And we must embrace it. We must receive it. No one should stay in captivity because if the son shall make you free, you will be free indeed. Because he, 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 has, he has already paid the price to secure freedom. Are you following me? It was not necessary. It wasn't a price paid to the devil. It was just for justice to be satisfied. Are you getting me? God just wanted to satisfy his own condition. That sin has to be punished. The soul that sin must die. Is the wages of sin, but it boils. He took it. We can't go fully into that. And I'm praying that none of us, we keep on going around, carrying guilt of sin, carrying condemnation in our hearts for the things that he has already paid the price for. Whether they were the sins that were committed before we came to know him or the ones that were committed after we had known him. Let not the devil continue to torment your heart with guilt. Be free from guilt. Be liberated from guilt and condemnation. Mm. Live a free life because someone paid the price. Mm. May somebody be free from guilt today. Amen. May someone be free from every affliction and oppression today. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. It's part of the package of our redemption. It's part of that package of our salvation. Amen. Amen. That we may be saved from all our enemies and from the hand of everyone who hates us, that we may serve God in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. That was fulfilled here. Turn with me quickly. I'm moving now to Luke chapter 2 just to support the scripture that I've just read to your hearing. 
Did I say Luke chapter two? I mean Luke chapter one. When he was talking about the visitation in verse 68, it says, blessed is the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, referring to the seed of the woman. Then he went on and on. Look at verse 74. To grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Without fear. Free from fear, free from guilt, free from condemnation, free from fear of judgment and punishment in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Amen. But what else was achieved on that cross? That's where we are going now. What else was achieved, was secured on that day? Turn with me now to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. You will see how they are neatly tied together. I'm hoping that we will be able to quickly come to the declaration of his lordship and what that means to us. Now, if you turn to Colossians, in Colossians chapter two, I said, let's get there. In Colossians chapter two, this is what the scripture says. talking about the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Let's look at what it says from verse 12. I'll take it from verse 12 for context. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Talking about his death and his resurrection here, his burial and his resurrection. And you being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. When Christ rose, we rose with him. For those of us who have come to him, we identify with his death, with his burial, as signified by baptism, which Brother, Charles, um, Brother Mark was talking about about two weeks ago. And we arrest with him. and made to sit together with him in the heavenly places. That was when he ascended on high, which I'm going to come to shortly. But follow this argument carefully. That is having forgiven our sins. We are not just forgiven our sins and left in the same position. There was an exhortation that came to us in his resurrection. There was a change in position. There was a change in status for us. And look at what happened. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against or contrary to us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's why you should not be carrying guilt. You should not be carrying things that he doesn't want you to carry. Every handwriting 
Whether people say they were legitimate, whether people say they were legal or illegal, it doesn't matter. Everyone, everything, he has blotted them out. He nailed them to the cross. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter whether somebody said something, whether it was written down or pronounced, it doesn't matter. Everything contrary to us, he nailed them to the cross. Everything that could affect our destiny, that could affect the plans and purpose of God for us, he nailed them to the cross. Are you following this? It is the truth everyone must know. No one must again live under the yoke of body that Jesus has already taken upon himself. Then, then his death will have amounted to nothing concerning us. If all that he did, we could not appropriate. You remember I was saying that last week, that I say, Lord Christ has achieved for us that we are yet to appropriate even as believers. And I'm praying that the Lord will help us even in this matter in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. But look at what happened on that cross. All of this, they were done in that, on that cross. <laughs> Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. The cross achieved a lot for us. Thank you, Brother Mark, for leading that powerful worship, focusing us on the cross, that old rugged cross. Look at this. Having this hand, and this is where I want us to go, principalities and power, he made a public spectacle or show of them, triumphing over them in it. In his death on the cross, something happened. It disarmed principalities and power. He stripped them of something. A weapon that they had. He stripped principalities and powers of it. He stripped them of it. This is a truth every believer must know. He stripped principalities and power. He disarmed them. You know, when you have conquered the people, you collect their arm from them. The weapon that they have, you collect it from them. So he disarmed principalities and power. And he didn't do it secretly. He did it publicly. That was why Jesus could not be killed secretly. He was killed, executed openly, where everyone saw it. Where they thought they were disgracing him, they didn't know that that was the same place where the hair of the evil one was being crushed publicly. His, his death was not pop, was not private. It was public. And it has to be so. Wow. Anyone who denied the death of Christ cannot have a hope of salvation. Nor of his resurrection. Are you following me? It's the truth you have to believe. Because there the devil was finished. by the wisdom of God, will come to this another day. But I just want us to see what happened on that day. What happened at that moment? Let's go further. I've read this before. I've said this before. You can write it down. So 
What then happened? So he defeated Satan. The Bible even told us that he went down to hell. Maybe you will say, what? He did. I won't go into that today. Again, from there, he liberated those who had been held bound. Hallelujah. And that is why the scripture tells us this. In case you think I'm making this up, come with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We are looking at what happened at that moment of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So, if you get to Ephesians chapter 4, you will see something there. The Bible talks from verse 8, it says, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Just note. Now, this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower part of the earth. That's talking about hell. The, before Christ rose, he descended first. Hallelujah. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. So in the process of descending, so Jesus does not just defeat the enemy. He actually went into his abode, into his dungeon to free people. He led captivity captive. Those who had been enslaved by him, he took them out. Hallelujah. Amen. It was a release. This is a separate Bible study on his own that we can take another day. What happened? But there was an exhibition that actually something else was defeated, and that was the power of hell, the power of Sheol, the power of the grave was defeated on that day. By his resurrection, he conquered death. He liberated those who were bound. Hebrews chapter 2, which I've, I've spoken about before, I've done an exposition on before, but let's take it quickly. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And in Hebrews chapter 2, it says this. In Hebrews chapter 2, the scripture has this to say, Inasmuch then, from verse 14, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hallelujah. Amen. So he defeated death, not just death. He defeated the one who had the power, who once had the power of death. He had the power of death to determine people's destiny. Are you following me? Whoever he wants to cut short, he cuts them short. 
<laughs> but God never loses focus of what he wants to do. It broke the power of the grave. It broke the fang of death over people. The Bible talked about, you know, how the saints were seen in Jerusalem. <laughs> Who had died? They came alive in his resurrection. They were released. Are you following me? It wasn't as though the devil could do anything with them. <laughs> oh, can I go into this today? But it took, it took them out. Wherever they were kept, it took them out. What was called paradise <laughs> was empty. Not that the devil could touch the saint that had died focusing on Jesus, but yet they couldn't, they couldn't enter into their Lord, into their inheritance. They couldn't receive the full liberty that is expected before his blood was shed, before his death. So they obtained their full liberty. They were not under punishment by the devil. No, they were not under torment by the enemy. But there's a liberty that was meant for them. And that of necessity had to be achieved following the, the coming, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that was why the scripture was saying, Jesus himself said, your father Abraham looked to my days and he rejoiced. Are you following me? Today's teaching looks complex for you. Is anyone understanding at all? Wave your hand at me. If you understand this truth. Okay. I'm four minutes past now, but I'll, I'll just tie it somewhere. So in that moment, you can see several victories that happened. Victories. For the living, victories for the dead. And this was why it was said. Go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because of the conquest of death, there was something again that happened. The scripture tells us and said, verse 25, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave or Hades or hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory over death, victory over the grave was achieved for us in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He conquered, even in, even in the grave, his lordship was spared. Now, what then happened finally as I conclude this? This is where we are going to conclude today, and we'll take it from here. 
when I talk about the proclamation or the declaration of his lordship as part of the gospel of the kingdom, this is where we are going. Turn with me then to Philippians chapter 2, where we will conclude for this morning. And we'll take it from here. I knew we wouldn't have enough time to deal with this aspect of the gospel of the kingdom. And in that Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, in Philippians chapter 2, in Philippians chapter 2, the scripture has got this to tell us. From verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. Note that, being found in appearance in the likeness of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, which we have talked about, suffered and died, bled and died. Even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those underneath the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Now, declaring his lordship. You know that in his resurrection and in his ascension, back to the right hand of majesty on high, where he is seated and enthroned as Lord, Lord of lords, King of kings. Are you following me? The Bible said he has been exalted far above principalities and power and every authority. Are you following me? He has been exalted far above them. He's not just above them. He's exalted far above them all. Far above them. And he has a name that is above all things. Name that thing is above them. And the purpose for this, which we shall explain more later, is that every knee should bow to him. And every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does that mean? Brothers and sisters, that is a work done. But on the earth, Somebody needs to declare the lordship of Jesus. What does it mean to declare the lordship? You know, declaration of lordship is a claim of ownership, rulership, and supremacy. A claim of ownership. You know, the devil paraded himself in that Luke chapter 3 temptation. He said, all these things, they are mine. Are you following me? Because it had been handed over to me. Because God gave it to man. Man handed it over to him. When the man, the seed of the woman came, 
and conquered the devil, that delegated heavenly authority to man was collected back. Amen. A man became, a man came in charge and his name is Jesus. Amen. On our behalf. Are you following me? He took that authority once delegated to man. God never lost his own authority. I hope you know. God was always in rule, in command. But man could not be in command until a man rescues the authority from his son, from Satan. I hope you know that before Jesus went to the cross, he was teaching, he was casting down demons, and they were wondering, what authority is this? He was teaching not as the Christ. So he had authority, that divine authority, but the one that was delegated to man originally was still in the hands of the evil one. Until he went to the cross, he took it back and put man back in charge. Amen. Amen. He then becomes the head of a new race, a new generation of people. So we have a man in heaven representing all of us, with whom we share inheritance, with whom we share Heritage. Hallelujah. Amen. But we have it. On earth, what are we to do? He then gave us that same authority. Behold, I give you authority. The one God gave, the dominion God gave man. So I release it back to you. You now have it. And like I told you, declaration of his lordship is a claim of ownership. Whatever the devil thought he owned, he doesn't own them. Because by right of creation, Jesus owns everything. By right of creation. Psalm 24 verse 1 1 and 2 says, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, and those who therein dwell. For he has founded it upon the seas, and he has established it upon the waters. Are you getting me? And the scripture tells us that there was nothing made that was made without Jesus. All things were made by him, through him, and for him. Hallelujah. We need to understand this. So the right of ownership, which the devil was claiming, was stripped from him. Brothers and sisters, you own, Christ owns everything. And because we are joint heirs with him, we own everything with him. Hallelujah. What he has, we have. So declaring his lordship is to claim ownership. Ownership. I own this. Christ owns our world. He owns the earth, not the devil. He owns the nations. And he has to the, rule, the right to preside over what he owns. That comes rulership. Rulership comes in here. Who rules the earth? Jesus. When you declare the lordship of Jesus, you are saying you are declaring his ownership. You are declaring his rulership. Above that, you are also declaring his supremacy. His rulership is not just a kind of rule. His supremacy over all. Wow. Do you know what happens when we declare his lordship? When you say, in the name of Jesus, because that's, that's the pronouncement. Are you getting me? You are telling every other power 
and every other being and every other thing that so you have to be subject to his lordship. You are imposing, you are enforcing his rule, his reign over them. Are you following me? If a power, for instance, was binding somebody and in the name of Jesus, you pronounce a release, you are declaring his lordship. Healing is a proclamation of the lordship of Jesus. The afflicted one being made free is a pronouncement of the lordship of Jesus, of who has the supreme authority, who has the last say. Who is it that says a thing and it comes to pass? If the Lord has not commanded it, when we declare his lordship, then we see the captives free. Because we are claiming back what religion belongs to him. Amen. We are claiming lands that belongs to him. It's not by physical weapon. It's by a declaration. Oh, may God give us understanding of this in Jesus' name. When the sick, they are healed. In the name of Jesus, are you following me? We are pronouncing his lordship. That he has the last say. When the dead are raised, you are pronouncing his lordship because we are saying the person who has the last say of how long life will last is him. Whoa. That's why we cannot preach the gospel of the kingdom without saying signs and wonders. Signs and wonders, they are testimony to his lordship. You remember what he said in Luke chapter 13? He was talking about the woman that was banned for 18 years. He said, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, be loose, who has been bound for a year by Satan? He specifically mentioned who are bound him. And when Jesus got there, he released that woman. He said, woman, you are loose. You remember what, what he was trying to say? Is that I, own, I have the authority here. I hold the authority to set free. Okay. Brothers and sisters, we cannot proclaim this gospel without signs and wonders. Without the proclamation of the lordship is to release, is to, is, is to tell Satan on all principalities and power that he is in charge. Lordship is about who is in charge. May God help us to understand this in Jesus' name. Because our own authority derives from his authority. When we pronounce his lordship, because that's all that he wants us to pronounce. And I'm praying that the Lord will help us to understand this truth. But how do we do it? We have said anyone who must be in authority must also be subject to authority. Proclaiming his lordship starts from you and I being subject to his own authority. We have no right to proclaim his lordship over others, over other things. They will rebel against us until we ourselves, we are subject to his lordship. Therefore, the kingdom of, and that is kingdom, because we said whoever holds the rulership over a territory is the king of the territory. Are you following me? For us to experience authority, we want to be a people subject to his lordship. We don't just have to make, we don't, it's not just about making him our savior. He has done that. We also have to make him our Lord, the owner of our lives, the ruler of our life, the one who has the last say concerning anything about us. When we do that, we are qualified to pronounce his lordship over all others, over all others. And the demons, the principalities and powers, they'll be subject to us. This is the only way we can advance the kingdom. And I will tell you where this becomes very important because from the day of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God suffers pile. Matthew 11, 11. 
and the violent, they take it by force. The kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God will always place for position. But in his name, in his name, principalities and powers will bow. They will bow. They will bow. Amen. They will bow. We can promote, propagate the kingdom of God in his authority, in his name, even as we pronounce his lordship over all. Even creation, the entire creation will obey us. May the Lord help us to understand this truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sorry, we have taken an unusually prolonged time today. Let's bow our heads as we pray together. Talk to God. The first prayer I want you to pray today is you being subject to his lordship. Why not? He has saved us. Why must we continue to live in disobedience to his authority? Why must we continue to live in rebellion to him? Why not pray and say, Lord, I make you the Lord of my life. You have saved me. You have delivered me. I surrender to your lordship, your ownership of me, the ruler of my life. You are my maker, so you are my owner. I surrender to your lordship. I'm subject to you. Your will is my own command. I'm here to do your will. Make him Lord over your life. Make him Lord over your own home, over the affairs of your own life. That we may be in a position to declare his lordship over all. How we do that more practically, which I'll explain later. But this is an aspect that is likely missing in the church. We want to command demons to bow to us, but we are not subject to his lordship. We do whatever we want to do. And we are commanding disobedient spirits, rebellious spirit to bow to us, it won't happen. Declare him Lord over your life, over your home. When it takes control, every other power has to bow. Make him Lord indeed. Then we'll see his lordship over all. His kingdom come in our life. And his kingdom can be spread and propagated all around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.